Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada. And however you have found our podcast, we're so glad you're here. Before we jump into today's message, just a couple things I want to let you know. If you go to our website, www.duncanchurch.com, you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us. We have an online connect card you can fill out. Maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online apart from that there is a give button so if you're feeling led you can do that right online through our website you can also find us on facebook and youtube we are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that god's going to do something special in you through today's message enjoy So I wonder how many of you um, maybe have, like, have you ever made a real big mistake, like messed up really bad? Anybody here ever done something like that? Uh, Like, I'm talking the mistake where you're like, you think you might be done, like this was it. This is the kind of the final straw. I don't know if I've actually shared this story with you before or not. If I have, just live the pain with me once again, please. Um, So I I may have shared or not, but uh, probably one of the bigger mistakes that I've made um, was when Andrew and I were very first married. And uh, we were living, not, that wasn't the mistake, marriage, some of you laughed at No, it's the best, best decision I ever made, uh, aside from choosing to follow Jesus. But um, we were living uh, when we were first married in Burnaby, and Andrea was between her first and second year of uh, nursing school and was working as a uh, care aide, is that what it was, at Lionsgate Hospital? And I, at the time, um, was working two jobs. I was working in the mornings from 6 to 2. I would work at a gas station in Coquitlam. And then I would, in the evenings, sometimes I would drive out to Abbotsford where I was teaching English as a second language and finishing off my TESOL certificate. And so it was busy. And um, this one time, um, and we only had one car. So, uh, so I, I would come home from work sometimes, 6 to 2, get home. And then I'd be like, okay, if I needed the car, then I would have to drive Andrea to Lionsgate Hospital, drop her off at 3 o'clock for her shift and pick her up at 11 uh, when her shift was done. And so, um, so this one particular time, I, um, I dropped her off because I, I forget why I needed the car. But I went back and um, back to our place and, you know, made dinner, did whatever I was needing to do. And then I remember in the evening, I was supposed to be talking to my brother in Victoria. And so I had phoned him, but there was no answer. And I thought, you know what, I'm really, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to take a nap for a few minutes and so I'm going to turn the ringer off on the phone. It was the old, old school phone. It wasn't, you know, cell phone. It was like the old corded kind of phone. And I turn off the ringer and I thought, you know, I'm just, I'm exhausted. I'm just going to lay down for just a minute or so. And that minute um, turned into a lot more than a minute. Um, I proceeded to not wake up until about, I think it was about 1230 or one in the morning, um, to our door of our bedroom flying open. Um, and Andrea, not the happiest person with me. <laughs> Um, because she had been phoning from the hospital at 11 o'clock. She got off her shift, and there's no Peter. What's going on? So she phones, and she phones, and there's no answer. The phone just keeps ringing, and she's thinking, oh, man, like, I, I, I should have actually probably had something serious happen to me. It probably would have been better, but she was like, he's dead. Something's happened, you know, and, um, and then she, so she has to catch a cab home in the middle of the night. She gets a cab ride home, and she pulls up to see the car there at the house, and she's like, what's going on? Why is he's not dead. Maybe, maybe I should have been, but he's going to be in a moment. He will be. He will be. And so she open, you know, swings open the door. I'm like, I'm startled awake, laying on the bed. And, uh, and it was a pretty big mistake. Um, 
that I had made. Anyway, uh, so anyway, I'll get, I'll get back to the reason I share that in a moment. But we are currently studying the book of Zechariah as a church. And last week in Zechariah chapter 7, we saw this question about fasting, this, this delegation that had come from Bethel, uh, a very small remnant that had relocated from captivity back to Bethel, and had sent this delegation to ask this question, to, are we supposed to keep fasting like we've done throughout our time of captivity? Because they had, if you remember last week, started four different fasts, and and they're, they're wanting to know. That's a genuine question. Should we keep doing what we've always done? And if you remember, the reply last week was a bit of a spanking from God. It was a little bit of a, a wake-up call in a lot of ways. Um, and, and he really saw right through their motivation for their fast. And he was like, listen, you guys aren't fasting for me. In fact, I never even, you're asking me, should we keep doing this? And he's like, I never asked you to start it in the first place. Right? He's like, he saw right through the motivation. He says, it's not for me that you are fasting. This is all about yourself. It was just going through the motions, some tradition. And then the end of the chapter, it, it, it finished off with this kind of a reminder of the mess that they were in because of their religiosity, because of their traditions in many ways that they had, they had observed certain fasts, but they had neglected to observe obeying the Lord was the bottom line. He's basically like, listen, you're, you're in captivity not because you didn't fast enough. <laughs> you're in captivity because you didn't obey me. But what we're going to see this week is that it's not the end of the story. The message that we're going to have from God this week in chapter 8 of Zechariah is that though they messed up, God still had promises and he still had plans for their life. And I, I, I say that because, you know, though I messed up, Andrea still lets me drop her off sometimes for things and pick her up. I won't make that same mistake again. Uh, Zechariah 8, though, is really it's filled with promises. It's amazing. If you contrast 7 and 8, they're really one chapter you could almost say seven and eight but how many of you are thankful i didn't do it all in one week some of you are, oh, i can if you want me to i can do hour and a half two hour sermons if you need me to but i decided to split it up but it's really one continued thought there's the spanking in chapter seven and then basically there's the promises in chapter eight and that's what we're going to have this morning we're going to have this incredible chapter filled with promises promises about the future that god had for israel many that actually will not be fulfilled until christ returns but really the promises that for that time in that season when Israel was rebuilding the temple applied to them then and honestly applies for us today even right now. So why don't you grab a Bible? Listen, in the seats all around you, there's Bibles. It helps you so much. I will not have the text on the screen like I did last week because we're uh, going to be using, using the English Standard Version again. So grab a Bible, turn to the book of Zechariah, and if you're wondering where Zechariah is, go to the New Testament. The easiest way to find it, find the Gospel of Matthew. And start going backwards. You'll hit the book of Malachi, and then right before Malachi is the book of Zechariah. But why don't we take a moment and pray before we look at God's promises. God's promises, because it's never the end of the story. Oh, Father, this morning, I just, I, I thank you for each and every person that's here. Lord, that we have gathered here in a bit of a warm building at the moment. Uh, but Lord, it's okay because your word is greater. Your word is worth it. You, Jesus, are worth it. And so we choose to come here and to worship you because, because, God, we want to learn. We want to grow to be more like you. And I pray, Father, this morning, if there's any people in this room right now that perhaps they're like, yeah, Peter, I get it. I've messed up really bad too. Messed up so bad. Messed up so bad that I don't think God would ever take me back. Lord, I pray that this morning your promises would speak loud and clear once again. Speak through the lies, speak through the confusion, and speak again your truth, I pray. So teach us this morning, I ask, in your name, amen. 
All right, Zechariah chapter 8. And the first promise we're going to see is that of covenant. Covenant. For us, you could also, if you're taking notes, you could also put new covenant. Um, all of our promises are going to be something new. And so, um, and for us, it is a new covenant. But the first promise is that of covenant. Chapter 8 begins in verse 1. And the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, I need to stop there because over 15 times in this chapter alone, we're going to have God speaking this kind of way. Thus says the the Lord of hosts. And it's important, who is this? What's he talking about? This is a key theme that goes on in the chapter. So it's really important that we know he's not talking that he's the Lord of the hosts in the sense of like, you know, maybe the Oscars, like someone that would host, you know, if you're thinking like Chris Rock, you know, he's not the Lord of Chris Rock or, or the Lord, who's this next guy, Billy Crystal right? That's not the kind of host he's talking about. Or even maybe you might be thinking when you think of hosts like Martha Stewart, someone that hosts a party. That's not the Lord of hosts that he means here. When he says, he is thus says the Lord of hosts, it's actually last week we saw in the translation with the New Living Translation, um, they actually translate it the, the Lord of heaven's armies. That's what this is. The host, the hosts of angels is really what this is, is saying here. And, and that's important that we know because well, it basically means this. You better listen up. This, this is God who's speaking, who is the Lord over all of heaven's armies. In other words, he's got power, he's got authority, which is important because how many of you know that a promise is only as good as the person that's making the promise? Right? Do you know what I'm talking about? We can promise you all we want, we're going to do something, but if that, if that person doesn't fulfill their promise, it's no good. And so he's saying this, my promises are good. You can take them to the bank. And so we're going to see that repeated again and again as he as he gives us these promises throughout the chapter. So what's the first thing that he says? Verse 2. He says this, I am jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I am jealous for her with great wrath. Thus says the Lord, I have returned to Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called the faithful city. Some of your translations might say city of truth. And the mountain of, of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. So the picture or the idea here is that of, of, like, you might hear that jealousy and wrath. You kind of go, oh, God's angry. This isn't good. He's actually, this is a very good thing. It's like that of a relationship. It's like that of a marriage, that God, it's a good jealousy. God is jealous for us like, like a spouse would be jealous for their spouse, right? You don't want to share your spouse with anyone else. And, and, and it's, almost like, it's almost like God here is saying, I can't take being separated from my people any longer. I cannot take it any longer. Even because of their disobedience, I have to do something. Why? Because he loves you so much. In fact, he says here, he has returned and he promises to live and to dwell with them, which is really good news because if you know, this is coming on the heels of a 70-year backslide. Actually, it's far longer than a 70-year backslide, right? You know that Israel, the north and the southern kingdoms had been backsliding. They hadn't been walking or obeying God for hundreds of years, This wasn't just the past 70 years. This has been hundreds and hundreds of years of refusing to obey the Lord. And so this is good news because what do we all wonder when we've backslid? Has anybody here ever backslid? Anybody here ever disobeyed God? There's like seven or ten of us maybe in the room. So the rest of you are all in backsliding right now because you're being disobedient. (laughs) You're lying. The the thing we all wonder when we backslide, when we walk away from God, whether it be for five minutes, whether it be for, for five years, whether it be for 50 years, when we wander from God, one of the things that we wonder and that we ask is, is he still interested, like a marriage, is he still interested in a relationship with us? Think about it. The way we treat God, we're like a spouse that leaves for year upon year after year. And so what would you think if your spouse left? 
If you were the one leaving, the disobedient one, you'd be going, well, is my spouse going to take me back? And this is good news because what does God say here? Is he done with Israel? Is he done with us? He says, no, I am jealous for you. I am jealous for you. I have returned and I, in fact, I will dwell with you. If you ever wonder about the love of God, wonder no more. God loves you intensely with an incredible passion and wants to be with you. They'd messed up bad, real bad. In fact, Jerusalem really now had become more so known as the unfaithful city, you could say. He says, I'm gonna, it will be called the faithful city. Why? Because it was the unfaithful city. At this point, it lay desolate and empty and destroyed because of their disobedience. He says that the mountain will also be known as the holy mountain. At this point, it wasn't known as a holy mountain. In fact, the nations around them, we're going to see later in the chapter, it was like, almost like a swear word that they would talk about Israel and Jerusalem. That's how desecrated it was. And it was kind of like, well, that, those are those guys that did that. They, everybody knew. They rubbed God's face in the dirt. His name had been marred like nothing else. And God says, I'm going to change that. It'll be known as the faithful city and the mountain of truth or the holy mountain. Now, this was obviously, he's speaking here to the, the exiles, this remnant that had returned to Jerusalem. So obviously, this applied to them. He says, I'm going to, I, I will dwell with you. I'm jealous for you. I have returned. And, and it, was, it was fulfilled, obviously, then, partially. It was also partially fulfilled when Jesus Christ came. As the babe of Bethlehem, as God in the flesh came, he came and he dwelled among his people. That's what he talked about here. I will dwell among you. I'm jealous for you. I've returned. I will dwell among you. However, it was not totally fulfilled, ultimately fulfilled, because the city was not established as the faithful city or as the city of truth. And Mount Zion was definitely not the, Mount Zion is the temple mount where the temple would reside. It's not, definitely not today known as the holy mountain. In fact, right now, on that temple mount, do you know what sits there? What's that? That's, that's a picture of the Dome of the Rock. This Muslim temple. Is it a city of truth? Is it a, is it, is it a holy mountain at the moment? If you see in that picture, can you see in the blue, there's all that kind of um, Arabic that's written? Inscribed all the way around uh, the Dome of the Rock are all these different inscriptions. I actually went to an Islamic website to see what it says. Okay, and it says all these different things, all various different things about Allah and, and different things about God. It also says this, God is only one God. Far be it removed from his transcendent majesty that he should have a son. God does not beget, nor is he begotten. Then another area says this, praise be to God who has not taken unto himself a son. Inscribed right on the temple mount right now, is the denial of the virgin birth and the very deity of Christ declared in that Arabic. That is not a faithful city at the moment. That is not a city of truth. That is not a holy mountain at this very moment. You see, the ultimate fulfillment will be when Christ returns and when he establishes his kingdom once again and he reigns here on this earth. That will be the ultimate fulfillment. It will not be a mountain of lies at that point. But then he goes on, continues in verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each with staff in hand because of great age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in its streets. Thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days, should it also be marvelous in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem." marvelous he says does this seem a little too far-fetched 
Too good to be true is kind of the, the Hebrew word there for marvelous. He says, and you would think about it, what he's declaring right now, there's 42,000 Jews that had returned from captivity into Jerusalem out of about two to three million that had remained. And so he's giving this word to them, and of course they're going, yeah, right. The street's filled with, with old and young. Yeah, I can't. It's too good to be true. I can't believe that, right? There's still so many. And not only that, but it's speaking about incredible safety that they would be living in. Children actually playing in the streets. And, and it says the old, getting so old, they would need a staff, right? It, it, the picture here is of, of incredible safety and peace. Is there incredible safety and peace in Jerusalem? No. Was there then? No, there wasn't even then. But God's, God would, would work a miracle, and he still will work a miracle. He says at that point, there, and there would be many that would return from captivity, from the east and from the west, that would return to, to rebuild and, and to, to work uh, on the rebuilding of the temple. But it's actually being ultimately fulfilled in, the, in the, what I think we're living in the last days. I don't know for sure, but I think we are. In these days that we are in right now as there are so many Jews returning to Jerusalem from all over, the east and the west, like he talks about here. Remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about the national bird of Israel. Remember we talked about this, the, the crane, right? We still have, I think, a picture here for you again, right? That, that, right? This is the national bird of Israel. They joke about that because there are so many cranes because so many Jews are returning. They can't keep up with the construction. And everywhere you look, there's cranes. And so people joke that it's the national bird of Israel now. That's what's going on. God is bringing his people back. But here's the thing. We just went through chapter 7, which told us all about their mess, how they screwed up, how they forgot to pick up their wife at 11 o'clock because they slept. They made a big mistake. Why would God return? Why would he do all these things after all the mess? Well, look at verse 8. He says, And they shall be my people, and I will be their God, in faithfulness and in righteousness. Commentators point this out. This here. What God is speaking to them is covenant language. This is covenant language. They will be my people and I will be their God. And why? Because of faithfulness. Because God is faithful. Here's the beautiful thing. This is, this is, this is, this is what we need to understand. The promise that was given to Israel, to the Jews, for the land of Israel, did not depend on the Jews. This is why we're seeing a return in unprecedented numbers. Some people are like, oh, but it's Palestine's. It's, it's, it's God's land, and he gives it to whoever he decides. And back in Genesis chapter 15, if you remember this, some of you were with us. How many of you were with us when we went through Genesis as a church? Put your hand up high. Well, there's a few of you. There's a remnant. There's a remnant that have returned. And in Genesis chapter 15, we learned this, that, that there was a, um, it, it's how they cut a covenant or a deal. We, we call it, you want to cut a contract. It's a term we use. And what they would do, God said this to Abraham. He says, Abraham, I want you to get a whole bunch of animals and cut them in half. Okay, so it'd be a messy job. They don't have power tools like we do today. I don't know if that's how you'd cut an animal today. Is that what you'd do? Anyway, I'm not sure. I'm asking, I'm asking our local farmers how you... They butcher things. I don't know. <laughs> Big bandsaws and things. I don't know. Anyway, using a flint knife trying to get through that. I don't know. Anyway. This is how they would do it. If in, in ancient Near East, Near East, when they would want to make a covenant with somebody else, they would take animals, they would cut them in half, and, and then they'd make a path between these animals, and then the two parties would walk through, and they'd basically say, these are, the, these are the deals of the covenant. These are the terms of the agreement that I'm entering into with you. And as they would walk, they would come, and then they would meet halfway, and they basically, 
I don't know, do some secret handshake. I'm sure Dana would be into that secret stuff. And then, and then there would be like, and then they would basically, what it meant was this. As they were passing through, it meant this. Uh, all these dead animals on cut in half on either side. It's basically, if I don't hold up my side of the bargain, you can do to me what was done to those animals. That's ultimately what it meant. Now, here's the cool thing. Back in Genesis 15, when God got Abraham to get all the animals and cut them, they're cut in half, they're laying out there. If you remember, Abraham falls asleep. God puts Abraham into a deep sleep is really what happens. And he falls asleep. And who's the one that passes through on the deal for the land? God and God alone. God says, it's not up to you, Abraham. It's actually not up to you. I'm giving you this land. This is yours for generations to come because of covenant. This is the reason that God says this. Israel, you screwed up so bad. But because I am faithful, because I made a covenant, I will return and I will be with you. And here's the beautiful thing. He's made a promise to you as well. And it's called a new covenant. And it doesn't depend upon animals and sacrifices. It doesn't even depend upon, yes, I'll say this, how good you are. It depends on how good Jesus was. That he gave his blood for you and for me, for each and every, every one of us. That no matter what we have done or do, he says, I have a covenant and I will remain faithful with you. That's what he says. I will remain faithful with you no matter what. I love that, that passage in 1 Timothy that, that says, you know, if, if we are faithless, God remains faithful because he can't disown himself. It's who he is. It's his character. He can't deny who he is. That's, that's his very character. He is a faithful God. And so if you ever wonder if you have backslidden or if you are currently living for yourself in rebellion, and if you're wondering, will God ever take me back after all I've done? The answer loud and clear is yes. In fact, I've already returned, he says. I will dwell with you. I'm jealous for you. Well, the second promise we see is a new day. Look at verse 9. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong. You who in these days have been hearing these words from the mouth of the prophets who were present on the day that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or any wage for beast. Neither was there any safety from the foe for him who went out or came in. For I set every man against his neighbor. But now I will not deal with the remnant of this people as in the former days, declares the Lord of hosts. What is God saying? God's saying, that was then, this is now. That's what God is saying here. That was then, this is now. And it's a new day. That's what he's saying. It's a new day. Yes, there had been difficulty. Yes, there had been discipline. God had to bring his people back. He had to rescue them from, from, from their bondage that they were putting themselves into, bring them back in line and back into obedience. But he says, today, it's a new day. He says, don't dwell on the past. Yes, that was in the past. Don't dwell on the past. Today is a new day. And in fact, he tells them, strengthen your hands. Finish the work that I've called you to do of rebuilding that temple. You know, Paul tells us a similar thing in Philippians 3, 12 to 14. He says this, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. In other words, Paul's saying, I still make mistakes. I think there's 10 of us here I know for sure this morning that would agree with Paul. We still tend to make mistakes from time to time. He says, I'm not perfect, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race 
and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Paul's saying a very similar thing. It's a new day, he's saying. Forget the past. You see, because the truth is this. You can't go forwards very well when you're just continually looking on the past. What's going to happen? Well, and you're going to fall off this, you know, right? You, got, you can't. You got to be, and so he says, I focus on this one thing. I forget the past. I, I press on for, for what God is calling me to do. The task that he's given me, it's a new day. For, he continues, Zechariah continues, verse 12. For there shall be a sowing of peace. Here's the new day. The vine shall give its fruit, and the ground shall give its produce, and the heavens shall give their dew. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. It's a new day, God says. It's going to be good things that I'm bringing. You see, God actually had spoken. We, we, we talked about this as we've been going through the book of Zechariah, that God had already used the prophet Haggai. Haggai and, and Zechariah are contemporaries. They're, um, they, they were around at the same time. And God had used Haggai to speak to the people to, to go, listen, time to get building, build that temple, because they weren't building the temple. And God had used Haggai, if you remember when we began the book of Zechariah, they actually, Zechariah's message only began about uh, just over a month after Haggai began his to get the people rebuilding the temple. So they're very close together. And Haggai had mentioned to them, you know, he, he revealed, God revealed through Haggai to the people why times had been so tough. He revealed why things were not working, why the weather was bad, why crops were failing, why the economy only grew worse and worse. God communicated through Haggai how it was like taking money and putting it into a purse or a bag with holes in it. How many of you sometimes feel that way? My money, where's it going? Like it just, I make my money and it just falls right out. That's what he's saying. Why is this happening? And he said to Israel, you want to know why? Haggai said this, it's because you're building your house and not God's house. That's that's what Haggai said. And he said, your priorities are wrong. It's time to get working again on building God's house. Jesus told us a similar thing as well in Matthew 6.33. You know what's weird? Every time, this is just a side note for your own enjoyment. Every time I see 6.33 on the clock, I think of this verse. I don't know, every single time. So it's like on my watch and anywhere I see it, on the stove at home at 6.33. Oh, right away, but seek first his kingdom and his race. It instantly comes to mind. That's what Jesus told us to do, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. That's what, it's a very similar thing. What's, what's Jesus saying? He's saying you need to put your priorities in the right place. Make God first, put him at the top in all things and he says, and he'll straighten everything else out. Of course, all these things will be given to you as well is speaking about, about the necessities of life, clothing and food and shelter. I'll take care of it, he says. You won't need to worry if you make God the priority in your life. He goes on, Zechariah goes on in verse 13. And as you have been a byword of cursing among the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so will I save you, and you shall be a blessing. Fear not, but let your hands be strong. You see, before they'd become basically a laughing stock, <laughs> a curse word, as it says here, among the nations. Because of their sin and their disobedience and being kicked out of the land and the, the repercussions from what they had done. But God says, I'm going to change all that. You won't be a curse word anymore. You'll be a blessing. You'll be known as a blessing to those around you. That's what he says. I will save you and you shall be a blessing. Get back to building the temple. That's what he says. You need to know this this morning. You know what? Satan... He wants you to remain a laughingstock because of your past. Satan wants to do the same thing. He, he wants, because of yesterday, he wants you to be stuck there. You know, you need to know this. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23 says this. The steadfast love of the Lord 
never ceases. Do you know what that means? God's steadfast, not just any love, it's a steadfast love. It never stops. God never, ever stops loving you. That, that should blow your mind. No matter what you've done, no matter where you go, God never, ever stops loving you. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. It goes on, he says this, his mercies never come to an end. That's incredible. You need mercy? It's never ending with God. That's good news. Some of you need more mercy than others. In fact, he goes on and says this, he says they are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Church, we need today, we need to get this, that today is a new day. That's what Zechariah was trying to tell Israel. That's what God is trying to tell us. Today is a new day. It's a new day. Don't dwell on the past and don't dwell on the the regrets and the mistakes of yesterday. How many of you woke up this morning? Some of you still aren't awake, I know that, but those of you that woke up this morning, okay, those of you that woke up this morning, you need to know this. If you woke up today, there is a fresh batch of mercy. Every morning, it's new. You, you should take a big sniff in the morning. <laughs> Honestly, every one of you should. Oh, I smell it. That's mercy cooking. Thank you, Jesus. God's cooking up some mercy for me because I need it. That's what he says here. Every morning, his mercies are new. And he says this, every day, it means you may not have got it right yesterday. Yesterday may not have been the best day that you've known. But what does he say? Today is a new day. There's a fresh batch of mercy for you today. And God wants to use you, in fact, to be a blessing to those around you today. So start. That's what he's saying to them. Strengthen your hands. Like Paul says, I press on to complete the task God has given me. Get back to doing what God's called you to press on today to do the work that God's called you to do. Make him first priority in your life once again today. Because thirdly, we see the promise of new life. Even after past life mistakes, we see now new life, the promise. Verse 14, for thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purposed to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, so again have I purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. Do you see this? God, in this chapter, you gotta get, if there's one thing you get, it's this, it's that God, God's basically saying this, I am so determined to bless my people. I'll do whatever it takes. He did do whatever it took. He, he gave his life on a cross. And that's what he says here. I'm so determined. Don't fear. And it's true. You listen, we can't bypass the discipline. In fact, we learned when we studied the book of Hebrews uh, just a little while back that, 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 that it actually his discipline in our lives is a way that God shows he loves us. It's, it's, it's pulling us from the pit. Discipline says, don't go any further or you might go over the edge, right? And it's his discipline that shows he loves us. He cares about us. And so sometimes, sometimes life is hard. Sometimes we do stupid stuff and God has to correct us. Some of you, God has to correct way more than others all the time, it seems. But, but he has to. He corrects us because he loves us. Yet here's the thing you need to understand that he's bringing out in this passage is that his, he always has grace for us. He's always determined to bless us. That's what grace means, undeserved favor. His blessing isn't because you deserve it. It's actually because you don't deserve it. It's because he's incredible and you're not. (laughs) That's just the God that we serve. He's incredible. Look at Psalm 30, verse 5. It says, For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor or his grace, some of your translations might say, lasts a lifetime. 
Oh, drink that one in. Smell the batch of mercy and take a big drink of, of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. This is, this is what God's getting at here. God saves us, he shows us his grace, but here's the thing, he was telling these Jews, he says, now I've got something for you to do. I've got a new life for you to live. Right? And so in Zechariah, you notice that, he's like, stop being evil. Stop plotting evil, stop doing wrong things. Be about justice, be about truth. He says that, and even he says the same to us. He says, you've been saved by grace, not because of anything you did, so none of you can brag, none of you can boast, it's purely because of me. But you know what's interesting is that we love to quote verses 8 and 9, but, but Ephesians chapter 2 goes on and it says something else in verse 10. He says, you need to also live a new life. What does it say? He says, for we are God's workmanship. You've been saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We need to understand this. We are not saved by good works. You, you need to get this drilled into your head. But we are saved to do good works. Okay, we're not saved by good works, but we are saved to do good works. That's what that tells us. That's what God was getting at here. Look at verse 16. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. See, once we experience God's grace, it should change the way that we live our lives. Bottom line, if, we, if we've been saved by God, we should be a different person. We should be a different people. It should be a new way of life that we are living, just as God was calling Israel here to live a new way of life. A new way of life that will actually affect others, not just ourselves, but others, how we live and how we treat them. And it really ties in next with, with the fourth promise that God gives, and that of new joy. We finally... After, um, back in chapter 7, the very beginning of chapter 7, of course, the delegation came with their question about fasting. Well, we've taken this long just to get God's answer. God had a few things he wanted to work through with his people first. And we finally get the answer about the fast. Should we continue the fast as we've always done? Verse 18, And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth. Do you remember what all these fasts were about? They don't even, yeah, pretty much, <laughs> good point, good point, yeah, they kind of, you know, they knew what they were, but they was kind of like, why are we doing them, really, they didn't know why, right, these fasts, there's the 10th month, the fast in the 10th month was to commemorate or to remember uh, the siege of Jerusalem, when Babylon came and seized Jerusalem, and then, of course, the fast in the fourth month was to remember when the walls were broken down, and, and the Babylonians were able to get into the city, and then the fast that took place in the seventh month was to remember when the, uh, the temple had been destroyed. It was kind of like one of the last things. And then the fast in the, um, or actually that was the fifth month. The fast in the seventh month was to remember the assassination of Gadaliah, who was the governor that was left in, in Jerusalem. The Babylonians came in, destroyed the temple, took, uh, took basically the remaining Jews um, of Judah, the tribe of Judah, into captivity. But Nebuchadnezzar had left a number of, of Jews in the city just to kind of basically run the, you know, keep some of the crops going and basically to be like a, like a vassal for him, basically, to give food and all that kind of stuff. And he had set a governor, Gedaliah was his name, of course. Um, the Jews that were in the city at the time conspired and assassinated him. 
And that was basically, they remembered the, that as well. They remembered the assassination because that's when it was basically, the city was totally done. Nebuchadnezzar was like, all right, enough of you, totally finished. And that's when there was like, not a person was left in, in Jerusalem. Total desolation and captivity was in full force by that point. So these are the fasts that they had been commemorating and doing. And they're like, God, are we supposed to keep doing it? Do you want us to keep doing it? And this is what he says about those. All those fasts, he says, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy and gladness and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love truth and peace. And what God's saying is basically this. It's not a time to dwell on the past garbage that happened. It's not a time to mourn. It's a time to celebrate. I'm turning your sad days into glad days. That's what God's getting at here. Because he's already told them, think about how much he's already communicated in this chapter of the incredible promises of what he was going to do. The new things, the promises. And he's saying, why dwell on the past? It's not a time to mourn, it's a time to celebrate. A new day has dawned. God was going to do a new thing. You know, he's doing it. Anybody remember DC Talk? Some of you are looking at me like, you're the weirdest guy ever. God is doing a new thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, some of you, yeah. They're like, yeah, yeah, Andrew's like, yeah, I remember, just move on. Yeah, okay, well, God was doing a new thing. He's like, don't dwell on the past. He's still doing a new thing today. And here's the problem is that I think sometimes we get so stuck in the past, we forget about the promises. God's got promises for you. Stop with the past. Stop it. Just leave the past. Get out of the past. You know, we mope around. I can't believe I did that. And we never enter the victorious life that Christ has won for us. It's time to enter into the promises of God. Leave the past behind. Isaiah 43, 18 to 19 says this, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. You might feel like your past has ruined everything. I'm in a life of, he's like, no, I'm going to make a way. I'm going to make a way for you. I'm going to actually bring life again, water, to where places have become dead. I'm doing a new thing. And for some of you this morning, I think God's word to you is it's time. It's time to move on from the past. Leave it in the past. God wants to do a new thing. He wants to bring a new joy into your life. That should be, honestly, it should be one of the primary characteristics of a Christian, of a follower of God, is that there is a joy in our lives Regardless of what we have walked through and regardless of what we are walking into, there is joy. There's joy. It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit. The second, love, joy. Second fruit of the Spirit. There should be, it should be that characterized in the life of a believer, of a follower of Jesus, joy. And so, you know, I've actually heard it said before, you know, there's a joy quotient. What's the joy quotient like in your life? The joy tank, how full is it? Is there joy that's overflowing in your life? If not, I think it depicts a little bit of where you're at right now with God. There should be joy, overflowing joy. Well, the final promise that God gives is that of new people. Look at verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts, People shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. Now this is a very interesting part of the passage. Um, 
This is speaking clearly about Gentiles, the nations around them, peoples that, that were not worshipers of God that would come and worship in Jerusalem, it says. And now this was partially fulfilled, you could say, in the book of Acts, especially in the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. You remember that there were many from, uh, they heard uh, the disciples, the tongues fell, the Holy Spirit fell upon them, began speaking in other tongues, as the Holy Spirit gave them enablance, uh, utterance, enabling. And it says that there was many Jews from other nations that heard them declaring the wonders of God in their own language and tongue. Partially fulfilled there, I would say, because it was still Jews. It was actually Jews. It wasn't Gentiles that had different languages. It was Jews in Acts chapter 2. It, and, and then throughout the book of Acts, we can see it to begin to spread, where the good news of Jesus begins to spread and then to Gentiles. You know, it wasn't really until the apostle Paul came along and took the message to the Gentiles. So you can see a partial fulfillment that took place in the book of Acts. But it was primarily still to Jews. And the worship wasn't centralized at that point anymore in Jerusalem. It actually had, it went out to um, Antioch, became the center basically of worship at that point. But in these verses, God says that he will be worshiped again in Jerusalem, and in fact, he'll, it'll be led by Jews. Isn't that interesting? It'll be led by Jews. Taking the, it says, taking hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, take me to your leader, in a sense, is what they're saying. Take me to your God, because we know he is with you. Interesting. We know it hasn't happened, because, because the reality and the truth today is that, in fact, Gentiles are leading Jews to Jesus, Right? It's not the other way around. Jews aren't taking Gentiles and bringing them to Jesus. It's the other way around. So this is still yet to be fulfilled. Ultimately, it will be fulfilled in the future when Christ again returns and sets up his kingdom for his reign from Jerusalem. But here's the thing. In the meantime, in the meantime, we are to be like these people in these verses, a new people. Look at, look at, um, I, look at verse 21 again. I want to go back to it. It says this, that the inhabitants of one city shall go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Do you see what's going on here? This is how we are called to live our lives now. Look at verse 21. It says what? The inhabitants of one city shall go to another. What is that? They're evangelists. That's exactly what they are. They're going to tell others about God. This is how, what we are called to do as well, to go tell others about Jesus. And then it continues. It says, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another. And what does it say? Let us go at, saying this, they'll say this, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. So we are to be evangelists. We are to share with others. But do you notice the sense of urgency here? Let us go at once. I think this is just a reminder as well to us. We need to be urgent in our message. Paul wrote in Corinthians that the time is short. That's what he said. The time is short. There's no time to lose. Live like Jesus could return at any second. And then he concludes verse 21 by saying this, I myself am going. I love this. It's like we're to be evangelists with a sense of urgency that lead by example. I myself, I'm going, come with me. Isn't that cool? We lead the way to Jesus. We show what a true disciple looks like. And then it really finishes it up in verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, 10 men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew saying, let us go with you for we have, we have heard that God is with you. Now, obviously, like I already mentioned, this isn't happening and it won't be totally fulfilled until Christ returns. But folks, we are to play that role now. That is our job. That is our job to lead others, to bring others to Jesus, right? To take hold of others and bring them to Jesus. You know, um, John and Vera, some of you were here a couple weeks back um, at the end of June, uh, some of our global workers, they shared about um, 
No, they didn't share about it. Sorry, they, they stayed at our house for the week after. So it wasn't with you guys that they shared it. Sorry. They were sharing about it with me. Um, and they were telling me about how when they were first married in Ukraine, they went to a church in Ukraine that really experienced incredible revival. Thousands of people coming to know Christ. He said it was incredible. And it was, he, you know, John said to me, he said it was really wild. He said that the pastor almost every week would end the service the same way. When everyone was kind of being dismissed, he would say this. He says, okay, I'll see you next week. But you only come if you have a Bible in one hand and an unbeliever in the other. Isn't that wild? Is that not what we're supposed to do anyway? That's what this passage is talking about. About being these, these evangelists with an urgency that set the example of following Jesus and bring others to God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. This is our job until Christ comes. You know, um, as a church, we want to help you do that. We want to help you bring others to Jesus. Dana mentioned it. I don't know if you caught it in her prayer time this morning that she mentioned we're doing something in the fall. Um, Alpha. I have never had a desire to run Alpha. Alpha's been going for years and years and years. Some of you maybe don't even know what Alpha is. Alpha is basically a really a safe place, an, env- an environment where people can just come and, from whatever background and encounter Jesus. It's a very proven um, discipleship, or not discipleship, evangelistic tool to help people meet Jesus. I've never, I don't know why, I've never had a desire to run or lead Alpha as a church. And over the past few months, God has just gotten a hold of my heart. The Holy Spirit has been speaking to me so strong, and I, I talked to our board about it, I talked to our staff about it, and we're like, I think we need to do this. And so we want to help you bring others to Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to run Alpha as a church this fall. Tuesday evenings in in late September into November, we are going to start running Alpha. We want to help you with a space that you can take hold of others. They might not grab your robe, you need to grab their robe and say, come with me, come with me, come learn about Jesus, come ask questions about Jesus. And so there's just two things. We're going to speak a little bit more about it through the summer months, but to help prepare for now, I, I want to just, two things I want to say. Number one, pray. I want to challenge you. Um, God has laid it on my heart that we would be a church that prays about this. First of all, that we would pray, pray about who God wants us to invite. Some of you right now, as soon as I said that, you might have had somebody come right into your mind. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker, and you're like, man, they, they, they're ready. They need to know Jesus, and they're, they're hungry. They have questions. Begin to pray for them. In fact, I've already told the staff that I think what we're going to do in the, in the next few weeks is we're going to make up some cards for you to kind of say, this is the person I'm praying for, or persons, maybe a couple, two or three. I I want us to be specific so that we begin to really pray for those people. And then we're going to ask you to turn on those cards so that every single Tuesday at our staff meeting, we're going to pray for those people every week until Alpha begins. Because, because folks, prayer is the key. (laughs) And we're going to pray that they would be open and ready and to an invitation, that the soil of their hearts would be soft, ready to receive. So, so pray, pray. Who are you going to invite? Who? Who are you going to invite? And the other thing I'd say with prayer is just simply begin to pray in general. Pray that the, that the ground would be just ready and made ready for seeds to be sown and for a harvest to come in. So pray is the first thing to prepare. Um, secondly, I would say this is, is begin to ask, you know, how is God calling you to be involved? How is God calling you to be involved with Alpha this year? We're going to need a, a team. <laughs> We're going to be running a meal each week. Maybe, maybe you can be a person that could do one of those meals. We've already made a secret list. It's a secret list. Dana's about the secret, so we have a secret list of people that were like, oh, maybe they would want to help do a meal. 
Um, so maybe that's something you would like to help with. Maybe you'd like to help be a part of the hospitality team, making sure that people feel super comfortable. This is like the most safe place. This isn't a churchy kind of alpha. It's not for like us to come with all our answers and be like, I've got my Bible. I'm going to tell you how it is. This is a place where people can totally say the wrong answers and we don't open our mouth. We just stay silent. We go, that's good. That's something to think about. Yeah. And we just let it happen. We're going to need facilitators that can be willing to keep their mouth shut <laughs> at tables. We're going to need people that, that are praying and praying and praying. What's your involvement going to be? I'm excited. I'm really excited. I, I don't know. God just planted it in my heart. And I think um, we've been praying about kind of the discipleship process as a church that we want to kind of begin to kind of have a, an intentional process. And this is, I believe, the first step in that process of what we're wanting to build. But as we close this morning, we're going to transition to communion at this time. And I just want to bring our focus back to this one thing. To the fact that yesterday is past. Yesterday is over, you guys. Saturday is done. Today is Sunday. The past is past. Today is a new day. And maybe, maybe you messed up last week, last year. Maybe you messed up yesterday. Listen, his covenant, covenant remains. This is what we're going to be doing with receiving communion is it's a remembrance of his new covenant that he has given us his, his body and his blood. He did the work for us. He did all of it. And this is what it welcomes us back. We, we, we want to take time this morning to, you know, you may have messed up, but his covenant's there and this is what communion is all about. God's returned. That's what he says. I have returned. I will dwell with you. Have you returned to God? I want to invite you this morning to come to return to the Lord because, church, his mercies are new this morning. There's a fresh batch of mercy for you today. And so as we prepare our hearts, as the team comes up and they're going to lead us in a song as we prepare to receive communion this morning, I, I think just the key thing that, that I want us to just focus on this morning is to ask the Lord, just to, to present ourselves before him and say, Lord, what, what do I need mercy for today? What do I need your mercy for today? your new mercy this morning. What do I need it in my life for today? And receive that today. Come and receive forgiveness, his offer of new life today. You know, maybe you're here this morning and, and maybe this is your, your first time really uh, being in a church or, or hearing stuff about Jesus and, and how he can change your life. Listen, I want you to know that today his mercy is also for you. His mercy is for the unbeliever and the believer just the same. But if you don't know Jesus, then today is the day that you can come before him, that you can come and you can take communion together with us and put your hope and your faith and your trust in him. The sins of the past, all paid for, the wrongs and the mistakes, all taken care of in Jesus' work on the cross. As the, as the team begins to sing, can we just, just begin to prepare our hearts? Just maybe close our eyes and maybe, you know, we began our service by opening our hands. Andrea challenged us to, 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 to lift our hands. Maybe right now, just open your hands, palms up to him, saying, Lord, I receive from you what I need to receive. And we invite you right now, Jesus, to speak to our hearts wherever we find ourselves this morning. Lord, what is it? What is the, the thing today that I need your new mercy for? It's not old mercy, it's new. It might be new mercy for an old sin or an old habit. But I just pray right now, Father, that you would begin to speak, Lord. Whatever it is. Maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe it's an addiction, a bondage. 
thank you that your mercy this morning is new. It's brand spanking new. I thank you so much for that, Jesus. And so, Lord, as we right now just prepare to to come before your table once again, to receive a, a thing of juice and a cracker that represents your body that was beaten and hung on a cross in our place, your blood that was shed, your life that was given so that we can receive forgiveness. Father, I pray that you would just begin to to work it deep into our hearts. Show us. Show us your goodness. Show us your mercy once again. We receive that this morning. Now, I don't know if you're here this morning, maybe joining us online or in-house, and you've never received God's mercy in Jesus. You're still living a life that's for yourself, that isn't for him. I want you to know that today he has come to bring new life, new joy, a new covenant, a promise with you that won't depend on how you feel today or tomorrow, but depends on the work that he did. And so if you're joining us and you've never received that, today's the day. Today is the day. Come, come to the table. Come receive full forgiveness. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.